You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 1 through 9, and we're going to be asking the question, can you see what the Lord is about to do? But before we take a look at this portion of Scripture together, just a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. First of all, as always, I want to invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com. On the website, you can sign up for our newsletter. You can peruse our bookstore and take a look at some of the resources that we have there. And you could also take a look at our blog content. We also have, in addition to that, links to our podcasts. So we have the informal Bible study. We also have the chapter-a-day audio Bible. All of that is available at DesireJesus.com, and we make a point to update the site several times throughout the course of the week with new content. So stop by there, check out the resources that we have. Our goal, ultimately, is to help you in your walk with Jesus Christ. We want to help you grow. We want your faith to be strengthened. We want you to be encouraged in your walk. And so we make all these resources available, and we hope that they're things that you find useful and encouraging. And I'm considering offering a new kind of resource on the website, and I'd really like to get some feedback from you before I attempt it. And the resource that I'm talking about or thinking about is this. From time to time, I have the opportunity to visit different churches or different conference centers and host various forms of training. And it occurred to me recently that it might be practical to make some of this training available online. So the lectures would be recorded, the workbooks and worksheets and quizzes and things like that would all be digitized, and we could make everything available on the website for those who might be interested in taking the courses that we offer. And one of the courses that I was considering making available online is a course on discipleship, because many believers have have expressed to me that throughout the course of their lives, they never felt like somebody actively invested in their personal discipleship from a one-on-one mentoring context. Discipleship can happen in a group context as well, but some people desire that one-on-one mentoring kind of context. And so, If we could facilitate that, if the training kind of focused on what Scripture says a disciple is to look like and what a disciple is to do, and we could make that available through our website, I'd be curious to know if that's something that would interest you. So if you get the chance, let me know. There's a contact link on our website where you can send me a quick message, and let me know if that's something that you would be interested in participating in if we make that available online. And again, our website, desirejesus.com, really would be interested during the course of this week in getting feedback from you on whether or not we should make our discipleship course available online, and if we did, if that's something that you think you might consider utilizing. So stop by the website, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Also, let us know if there's any way that we could be praying for you during the course of this week. We'd be happy to do so. Now, as I mentioned just a moment ago, today we're looking at Jeremiah chapter 33. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9, and we're asking the question, can you see what the Lord is about to do? Let me read this portion of Scripture for us. 
The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time, while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me, and I will answer you, and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword. They are coming in to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath. For I have hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. Behold, I will bring to it health and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at it together today. And Lord, as we look at this portion of Scripture from the book of Jeremiah, we pray that you would grant us your wisdom and your understanding and your insight as we seek to live out the concepts that we find in this passage, and as we wrestle with this idea of seeing what you are about to do, as you've made it clear to us in your word. Thank you, Lord, for giving us access to your word. We pray that you'd speak to us now by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. About a week ago, our family took a small trip to a log cabin near the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland. I don't know if you've ever been there before, uh, but the region is very nice. We had a lot of fun. The cabin itself was really accommodating, and there were a lot of things for us to do nearby and on top of it all. The cost to take this trip was extremely cheap. It sounds like it would be expensive, a log cabin on the Chesapeake Bay, but it actually was extremely cheap. In fact, it was quite possibly the most affordable excursion we've ever taken as a family. It was less than what it would cost just to stay at an average low-budget hotel. And we had a blast. And on the last day of the trip, the weather was cold. Uh, it was very windy outside. And so what we ended up doing was we spent some time indoors playing board games. And specifically, we played the game Monopoly. I'm sure most of you have probably played that game at some point in your life. And that's always been a family favorite of mine. Uh, just from the time I was growing up, even to now, my children really love the game. And I'd like to tell you that I won right? <laughs> but I did not win. Uh, the game was dominated, in fact, by my son, Daniel, who got off to a very strong start, and he never looked back. And at one point late in the game, I landed on one of his properties, and I didn't have enough cash to pay him. 
and I tried to work out a deal with him, but he wasn't interested in what I offered him. So I tried to use psychology to influence him to give me the deal that I wanted. And I said, look, if, if you turn this deal down, you can see what I'm going to do next, right? <laughs> and he wasn't sure what I was going to do, and he gave me a little bit of a smile But he still risked it, and he turned down my offer anyway, and basically my only option was to make deals with everyone else in order to to raise the capital that I needed to pay him off. And uh, effectively, he won anyway. It just kind of delayed the inevitable. But when we look at this portion of Scripture from the book of Jeremiah, we have God letting us see ahead of time what he's about to do. He lets us see it. He's chosen not to keep his plans secret. He prophetically reveals his intentions for his people. Still, it requires faith to be able to trust him to do what he has said he will do. It requires a God-given ability to look forward and to treat the future like it's a foregone conclusion. Do we have that kind of faith? Can we see what the Lord is about to do? Are we willing to trust him for things that aren't right in front of us at present? Well, this scripture gives us some great counsel regarding that very concept. And in speaking about these things, one of the encouragements that we're given from this portion of scripture is this. Don't hesitate to call out to the Lord. Look again at the first three verses of this passage. They say this. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me, and I will answer you, and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. There are many instances in life when it will be much more difficult to tell the truth than it will be to tell a lie. And during the course of his ministry, Jeremiah was compelled to tell the truth. He wasn't a lying prophet. He made a point to faithfully and accurately communicate the messages God gave him, regardless of the consequences. Often, this meant angering powerful people, including the king. Because Jeremiah continued to announce the fact that the Lord had specifically told him that the city of Jerusalem would be besieged by the Babylonians and King Zedekiah would be captured, the king responded by imprisoning Jeremiah in the court of the guard. While Jeremiah was imprisoned, the Lord spoke to him again. And the Lord reminded Jeremiah that it was he who made the earth, he who formed it, he who established it. And in saying this, the Lord was reminding Jeremiah that he had power that was greater than the power of kings who were working against him. Even though Jeremiah's situation looked difficult and his mobility was limited because of his imprisonment, the Lord remained powerful and sovereign over his creation. He who spoke the earth into existence would certainly do something about Jeremiah's challenging circumstances. And that's something we would do well to remember as well. And when we look at the message the Lord gave Jeremiah, one of the critically important reminders he shared was the importance of calling out to him in prayer. But how do we often handle our seasons of discouragement or trial? Unfortunately, 
a common way mankind responds to our trials is to try to make sense of them or even get out of them through a reliance on our own wisdom or natural talents. Yet that's not the counsel the Lord gave Jeremiah. What did he encourage Jeremiah and ultimately all people who would read these words to do? Well, the Lord invites us to call out to him because he delights to answer the prayers of his people when they're offered up to him in faith. As we seek his intervention and request his wisdom, he tells us that he will make known to us great and hidden things that we would never have figured out ourselves. Over time, uh, particularly in recent days, as I have taken on additional ministry responsibilities while at the same time my family's getting older, I have found myself coming before the Lord regularly, asking Him for two things that I believe He's going to say yes to. I've been asking Him for wisdom, and I've been asking Him for the fortitude to carry through with whatever He tells me to do, even when it would be easier not to. And this scripture reminds us not to hesitate to call out to the Lord. In fact, I I read a very interesting quote recently from Abraham Lincoln, and Abraham Lincoln said this, and I believe this to be true. He said, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. And what he was saying was the trials that he was experiencing in the midst of his presidential leadership were things that drove him to his knees in prayer, seeking wisdom from the Lord. And when we look at these opening verses of Jeremiah chapter 33, it reminds us to not hesitate to call out to the Lord. Now, as this scripture continues, it gives us some additional counsel. And what we learn here when we look at this portion of scripture is that we need to be wise and observe the lessons that earlier generations chose to learn the hard way. Look at what it says in verses 4 to 5. It explains this idea to us by example when it says this, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah, that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword. They are coming in to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath, for I have hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. The era in which Jeremiah served was a dark season in the history of the people of Judah. The people had become adept at giving off an outward expression of religious conviction, but internally their faith was paper thin. They cared more about being like the pagan nations that surrounded them than they cared about living as a chosen people that God had set apart from the unbelieving nations of this world as his own possession. Now the time had come for them to reap what they had sown. They were being invaded by King Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom of Babylon, just as the Lord revealed would happen to them ahead of time. In desperation, they were tearing down beautiful buildings within the city in an effort to use the materials for the purpose of military defense. 
Their efforts were futile because God had already declared that this chastisement and this invasion was His will for this season. He was going to use this difficult experience and the 70 years the people of Judah would spend living as captives in Babylon to strip them of their idolatry and teach them what really mattered, namely, following Him instead of the false gods of this world. And when we look at historical events like this, we can learn something valuable. We have the privilege to gain wisdom by observing the mistakes of those who came before us so we don't repeat these same mistakes in our own lives. Now, my son Daniel that I mentioned just a few minutes ago is 14 years old, and he was just hired by our local Chick-fil-A to work there. In fact, his older siblings work there as well, so three of my four children currently work at that same restaurant. Uh, But this is Daniel's first job, and after each shift, he typically has funny stories to tell us about how things went that day and some of the things that he's learning by making some mistakes along the way. And recently he was telling me that he was taking the trash out, And he didn't notice that the bag he was hauling was ripped. And unfortunately, it split. And it dumped trash all over the entrance, including unfinished drinks. So it was a really big mess. And people were trying to walk into the restaurant, but there was trash dumped all over from this bag that completely spilled everywhere. He had to pick up all the trash. He had to mop up the entryway. It was a big mess. And basically, he told me that he learned the hard way to check bags for tears before lifting them. He also was cracking me up the other day when he was telling me about the fact that he had the privilege of serving ice cream from the soft serve machine for the very first time just the other day. And let's just say it wasn't the prettiest cone that has ever been served at that establishment. Afterward, he said he was coached in the fine art of serving a proper ice cream cone, but his first attempt didn't go so well. He had to learn the hard way before someone came alongside and offered him some counsel and offered him some wisdom. And I mention this because sometimes in life, we have to learn things the hard way. But isn't it nice when we can avoid having to learn that way? When possible, learn from the mistakes of those who came before you, so you don't end up repeating their errors and experiencing the same consequences. And when we look at what was taking place in the lives of the people of Judah at the time that Jeremiah was prophesying to them, I think Scripture invites us to be wise and to observe the lessons that these earlier generations chose to learn the hard way so that we don't have to learn them the hard way, so that we can learn these lessons by seeing what they went through, and then we can make better decisions. A third principle that I think that we see as we look at this portion of Scripture from Jeremiah 33 is found in verses 6 through 8, where it reminds us to remain hopeful toward the future. Look at what these verses tell us. They say this, Behold, I will bring to it health and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel, and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. 
I'm grateful that even in the midst of a book like Jeremiah, where the Lord spends considerable time confronting sin, he also gives us glimpses of the ultimate work that he intends to accomplish. And this portion of Scripture teaches us that we can remain hopeful toward the future because in spite of the errors of humanity, the Lord has a great future in store. The Lord revealed that he was going to bring health and healing to his people who suffered under the weight and under the consequences of going their own way. They were currently living in poverty, and they were currently living in insecurity. But in his time, he would bring his people an abundance of prosperity and ultimate security. The nation would be rebuilt, and the people would be cleansed and forgiven of their sin. These are verses that speak yet again, of the future reign of Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus, our sin is forgiven. We are cleansed of our unrighteousness. We are welcomed into his eternal kingdom, where we're granted genuine prosperity and genuine security. The Lord knows that we seek these things here and now, and he isn't ignorant of our present needs. But he also knows that the treasures of this present age are like rubbish compared with the treasure of Jesus Christ and his presence in our lives. In fact, I love what Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, starting with verse 31. He says this, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's a great portion of Scripture, and it's something worth reminding ourselves of regularly. In fact, I remember when I was a child, my pastor actually wrote the reference to Matthew 6.33, in the cover of my Bible. So it's something that's always stood out to me since that point in time. But again, even if our present circumstances aren't what we would prefer, when we look at what the book of Jeremiah tells us, and likewise when we look at what Jesus told us in Matthew six thirty-one through 33, we can remain hopeful toward the kind of future that all who trust in Jesus Christ are assured of. Now, there's one other thing that we find in Jeremiah 33 that I want to point out to us today, and it's found in verse 9 where we're encouraged to walk before the Lord with reverence and respect. Look at what it says in this portion of Scripture. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. So as we wind down our look at this passage, we're shown even more about the Lord has in store for the city of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, and all who will eventually trust in him. When Christ returns to rule and reign upon this earth, the city of Jerusalem will serve as a visible testimony to the goodness of God. This passage was written during a time of judgment, when neighboring nations would have thought of the city as being cursed. But the day will come 
when all the world will hear of the good that God has done for his people, and they will respect him for it. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, you will personally see and experience that day. Right now, it's obvious that the world isn't a place of reverence and respect toward the Lord. Humanity is too wrapped up with itself at present to truly value the work the Lord is doing or to care about what he intends to do in coming years. But even though the world we live in and the culture that surrounds us clearly struggles to revere or respect the Lord, we who have come to faith in Jesus Christ should be the first to demonstrate our reverence and our respect toward him. Speaking of respect, every morning at 8.30 a.m., President Harry Truman, when he was president of the United States, would have a staff meeting. And one day the mail clerk brought in a beautiful lavender envelope with a regal wax seal and flowing purple ribbons. The thing looked majestic. And President Truman was given this envelope, and opening it, the president found a letter in it from King Ibn Saud of Saudi Arabia, whose salutation began, Your Magnificence. Your Magnificence, Truman repeated, laughing. He said, I like that. (laughs) I don't know what you guys call me when I'm not here, but it's okay if you refer to me from now on as His Magnificence. And he said this jokingly. And not long after that, Truman sent a message to the United Nations supporting the admission of 100,000 Jews into Palestine. Soon afterward, he received a second letter from King Ibn Saud, and this one began... Dear Mr. President, (laughs) you can see that the uh, affinity and the respect had changed slightly because of uh, his perspective toward President Truman's decision. But our Lord calls us to revere and respect him. Our Lord wants us, as those who trust in Jesus Christ, to be the first to demonstrate our reverence and respect toward our Creator. Can we see what the Lord is about to do? When we look at prophetic portions of Scripture like this, we're shown fascinating things. He shows us a glimpse of the future in this passage of Scripture, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a future of forgiveness and restoration for the people of Judah, for the people of Israel, and for all who will truly believe in Jesus Christ, who, by the way, is the righteous branch of David that this chapter later reveals will come to this earth. In fact, in Jeremiah 33, verse 15, so a few verses after the section that we read today, it says this, In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. That's a reference to Jesus Christ who's going to rule this earth, sitting on the throne of David. It's a future that the Lord has revealed to us in his scripture that's a guarantee. It's something that's absolutely going to take place. And my question for us today is this. Is that a future that you're confident will also be yours? If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can be confident that that's a future that you will be part of. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for the privilege to be able to look at this portion of Scripture today, to be reminded of the kingdom of your Son, Jesus Christ, to be assured of the fact that through faith in Jesus, 
we will be part of that eternal kingdom. And to look at a prophetic portion of Scripture like this today and to see the things that you're about to do. Lord, you reveal these things to us ahead of time, and we trust in you as if we've seen these things already with our very own eyes. We're grateful, Lord, for the fact that you have revealed these things to us. Help us, Lord, to walk by faith in you in every context that you place us in. We love you, Lord. We commit ourselves to you today, and we thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we invite you, as always, to visit our website, which is desirejesus.com. And as you're listening to this episode today, I'm, I'm just asking a favor from you today, and that favor is this. Let me know via the contact link on our website if you would be interested in us putting together discipleship courses that you could interact with online. These would be lectures that you could listen to online, followed by worksheets and quizzes and things of that nature that would help you in your walk as a disciple of Christ. If you think that's something that you would utilize if we put those resources together, send me a quick message because I'm strongly considering putting something like that together. But before I go through the effort of doing that, I want to know that people are actually interested in using a resource like that. So send me a message this week. Again, the contact link is found at our website, desirejesus.com, and let me know if that's something that would interest you in your walk with Christ. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week, and we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. A powerful prayer life does not require hiking a mountain to be able to hear from God. God can meet us right in the middle of our busy lives to help, guide, and speak to us through prayer. I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical teaching and encouragement on how you can make prayer a natural and consistent part of your everyday life. I promise it won't require hiking a mountain, but you just might develop the faith to move one. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.